Our scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 through 20. Again, that's Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 20. And the word of the Lord reads, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he, sat and ki- he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years older or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because there are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Amen. There's a familiar hymn that most of us, I would dare say, are familiar with. It was written by a pastor. His name was Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks was the pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Philadelphia in the mid-1800s. And in 1865, he took a trip to Israel. He wanted to be in Israel around Christmas time, and particularly he wanted to be in Bethlehem. And on the day after Christmas, he was sitting out on a hill overlooking Bethlehem and meditating on the wonders of God and what God had done in Christ Jesus for his people, imagining that Christ had come into the world. Some evening there in Bethlehem, in a stable, an impact that that would have upon that city indeed. And so moved was he by his time in Israel that when he returned, He wrote a hymn for his Sunday school. He wrote the words, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth an everlasting light for the hopes and fears of all the years met in thee tonight. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Today, Bethlehem is not still. Today, Bethlehem is not quiet. According to an article I recently read in the Washington Times, There is terror and killing in Bethlehem this year. In and around Bethlehem, there has been over 200 killings as the struggles between the Palestinians and the Israelis is ramped up. In fact, there was a young boy, 13-year-old, who was killed by a sniper's bullet, mistakenly slain and gunned down. Normally about this time in Bethlehem, the hotels would be filled to capacity, most of them overbooked, but the hotel owners tell us that they are only at 50% capacity this year. 
authorities of the city have toned down the celebrations. Because Bethlehem is not still. Bethlehem is not quiet. Bethlehem is not tranquil. People fear for their lives and the lives of their children. Violence is prevalent. But you do know, beloved, that this isn't the first time that violence hit Bethlehem. For it was violent following the birth of Christ. Present-day Bethlehem is a violent place, but Christmas violence in Bethlehem is not new. The first Christmas, beloved, was a time of violence. I know we like to think of Christmas in the terms of silent night, holy night, all is calm and all is bright. We, we like to think of Christmas as a way in the manger. We like to think of Christmas concerning songs like, God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. We might think that the first Christmas was nothing but peace, joy, and tranquility. But on the contrary, not everybody was filled with the joy of the season. In fact, beloved, the reality is Satan was not pleased at all. John Piper has rightly said that Christmas is God's invasion of enemy territory. Invading enemy territory to rescue people from the devil and destroy sin in their lives. Christmas is not only about jingle bells and popcorn smells. It is not all caroling in the snow. But it is God in Christ Jesus storming the gates of hell to set his people free. And don't you think for a moment, not a moment, that Satan was going to stand by and just allow our Lord to storm his gates without putting up a fight. No, beloved, it was not going to happen. Satan was not going to be attacked without attacking back. And so we see in our text this morning, Satan has a pawn as he always has pawns. He has a pawn in the Christmas narrative. And that pawn is named King Herod. In our text, we see Herod scrambling, don't we? Herod is scrambling, why? Because the devil is scrambling. And when Satan scrambles, beloved, 
he has the ability to cause much havoc, pain, and destruction in this world. We see that in the violence that was wrought by Herod. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. The Bible says that he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And in all the region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Power and hatred. It's a mix that we see in Herod. Power and hatred. And beloved, power and hatred are a deadly mix. Recently I was watching a documentary on the... uh, 1964 slayings of the three civil rights workers in Philadelphia, Mississippi, Neshoba County. And they were talking to some of the people who were alive then. And one of the things that struck me, one of the comments that somebody made is this comment that when you have power and hatred, you can cause much terror. That's what we saw in Neshoba County in Mississippi, power and hatred. That's what we saw in Nazi Germany, power and hatred. That's what we see in King Herod, power and hatred. When they meet, beloved, Death and intimidation is what happens. And Herod was power and hatred personified. He was a wicked despot. Did not hesitate in yielding the sword to the death of those he thought Betrayed him to those he thought were against him, even that those of his own household. And therefore, after he had sent the wise men to do his bidding to find this one, Jesus, who has been born king of the Jews, and it comes back to him that the wise men have not did his bidding, but in fact, have gone another route and have returned to their own country, not reporting back to Herod the information that he had demanded from them, the Bible says that this wicked despot with power and hatred grew angry, furious. Why was he angry? He was angry. Because the Messiah, the one who was born king of the Jews, has been born right under his nose, and he didn't know it. He was angry because the wise men had 
fooled him and mocked him in front of all those in his court. He was angry because they had betrayed him as rightful king in his mind and have instead given their allegiance to this one who had been born king of the Jews. He was angry because his kingdom was under siege and he didn't know where the enemy was. He was angry and he had power which is beloved a mad and bad mixture what does he do well what did they do to those civil rights workers in Neshoba County What did Hitler do to the Jews and not to Germany? Herod does the unthinkable. He orders the death, the slaughter of all the male children under the age of two in and around Bethlehem. Don't think for a moment, beloved, that this is simply Herod's doing. Jesus himself tells us in John chapter 10 and verse 10 that the thief comes to do what? To kill, to steal, and destroy. And what Herod wanted to do, beloved, and what Herod had in his heart and mind to do is what Satan has had in his heart and mind to do from the very beginning. And that is to destroy the Son of God. This is not simply the handiwork of Herod. This is the device of Satan. This is the device of the devil from the very beginning. Satan, beloved. The archangel, Lucifer, considered himself to be the son of God. And thus, had in his mind to destroy any and all who God would deem to truly be the Son of God. And this is what he did from the very beginning, did he not? This is what he did in creation. When God created Adam, Adam was indeed the Son of God. And what does Satan seek to do? To destroy the Son of God. And God formed nation of Israel as his beloved, made them into a nation upon which he would set his affection. The Bible says that Israel was what? 
son of God. And what does Satan seek to do in the Exodus? Indeed, to destroy the son of God. Here in the incarnation, who is Jesus coming to the earth proclaimed to be? Son of God. And what does Satan seek to do? To destroy the Son of God. Herod's wickedness, beloved, devised and directed by Satan, knows here no bounds. For he attacks the defenseless. And this is because Satan has no conscience. He has no conscience. Attacks these children. The soldiers come, swords in hand, knocking on doors, ripping babies from their mother's arms, snatching them from their crib, probably even while they were asleep, driving them through with knives, swords, and the blood is running through the streets of Jerusalem. And the Bible says, Rachel wept. Rachel wept. Because Rachel was considered the mother of Israel and how beloved she was. She's a beautiful woman, the Bible tells us, but She was a woman of sorrow and a woman acquainted with grief. She knew sorrow firsthand. She was barren when others were barren, when her sisters and others were were very fruitful and bearing children. She was barren. She knew sorrow. And when she finally was able to have children, the Bible says that she was given hard labor. Pain and sorrow were her portion. In fact, she would go on to die at the birth of her second. Her tomb was placed there in Bethlehem. And it was believed that when the nation of Israel was taken into captivity, They would march the nation, they would march the Israelites past the tomb of Rachel. And in their minds and in their hearts, as they passed the tomb of their mother going into captivity, Babylonian captivity, they believed that they heard Rachel weeping. Weeping for her children. They are being taken off in the captivity. 
And so again, when the cries of those baby boys came up from Bethlehem, when the cries of those mothers and fathers came up from the streets and the squalors of Bethlehem, among those cries, you could hear, you listened, the cry of Rachel. Her voice was heard in Ramah. Weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel was weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Satan was on the rampage in terror caused sorrow and pain in Bethlehem. The violence was unspeakable. The pain was inconsolable. I think Martin Luther had it right when he wrote, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and his power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Satan, beloved, can cause much pain, destruction, and devastation and discouragement in this world. He, he can do it in your life and my life. It is his design to wreak havoc. He has the power to do it. He has the will and the hatred to do it. Here's the thing, that the people of God, no matter how painful, no matter how sorrowful, no matter how horrible it seems, Satan can do a lot of things, but there's one thing he can't do. He can't win. Satan can't win. And Luther had it right. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be. Lord Sabaoth is he. From age to age, the same. And he must win that battle. And he does, beloved. Even in this text. Our Lord wins. He wins. Herod fought. And he tried to conquer with power and hate. But there is something even more powerful than power and hate. 
That's power and love. God in Christ conquers with power and love. Notice what the text says in verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Those who sought the child's life are dead. Just as we need to understand, just as God has a plan and purpose for his people, God has a plan, a purpose, and a destiny for his enemies. Herod is dead. Don't miss that. You know, when Herod is dead, devil is defeated. This is an important truth that rings out through the song that Luther left with us as well. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. For his rage we can endure. Why? For lo, his doom is sure. Why? Because God never loses, and Satan can't win. Therefore, God's people never need to hurry, and God's people never need worry, because victory is guaranteed. So when, when Satan and Herod takes up the sword, God's people don't take up the sword against him. When they came to arrest Jesus in the garden and Peter took out his knife and struck one of the servants of the guards, Jesus says, what? Peter, put your knife away. If I wanted to fight, I wouldn't need your feeble hands. God's people don't have to worry. God's people don't have to hurry. That's why in the midst of Satan's attack, I don't have to get angry. Why? Because I have the victory. I don't have to lie. Why? Because I have the victory. I don't have to cheat. Why? Because I have the victory. I don't have to deal with the world the way the world deals with me. Why? Because I have the victory. I don't have to fight with carnal and fleshly weapons against those who fight against me with carnal and fleshly weapons. Why? Because I have the victory. As Christ has come, and he has defeated the work of the devil, and he has broken the power of sin and that which stood against me. 
Spirit is dead. He goes the way of all God's enemies. Anyone who has ever been an enemy of the people of God, guess where they are? Dead. Pharaoh, dead. Moses and the children of Israel marching on. Goliath, dead. David and the nation of Israel marching on. Haman, dead. Esther and Mordecai celebrating, marching on. Herod, dead. Jesus, back into Israel and the victory of God marching on. Herod is dead. Jesus is alive. Did you get that? Herod is dead. Jesus is alive. And as long as Jesus is alive, beloved, everything's going to be all right. That's all you have to remember. Jesus is alive. And everything is going to be all right. Power and hate are greater. Power and love are greater still. Because hate never wins, beloved. And death is no longer victorious. No, it's not. No matter how dark the years, no matter how many the tears, trouble has an end. Terror will be dealt a decisive blow. Why? Because Christ did not come in vain. Would you believe for a moment that Christ would be born and then a year later God would allow him to be destroyed? No, beloved. Christ did not come to this world in vain. He was born with a purpose. He was born to remind us that weeping may endure for a night. And it may be a long and tiring night. But joy ultimately is promised. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Do you know? And not only is Herod dead, but do you know that the Bible promises that one day Satan himself will be destroyed? Revelation 20 and 10, the Bible reminds us that there is coming a day when Satan will be destroyed. And you know what the saints will proclaim? Jesus is alive. And that day, that victory will be complete. That story that we sing about will be fulfilled. That's why we sing the song. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning. And his precious blood atoning 
and I repented of my sins. And what happened? And I won that victory. Oh, victory in Jesus. That's why if you don't get excited about that song, you need to check and see if your wood is wet. that song ought to set your heart on fire as you know that you 